0: Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Selena. Together, we are moms to five children, including two sets of twins. At Tweet Dreams, we are passionate about helping families achieve the peaceful night's
1: rest they've served
0: because we were formerly overwhelmed and sleep-deprived ourselves.
1: We love nothing more than helping families achieve their specific sleep goals.
0: So the whole family can be rested and thriving.
1: On this podcast, you'll not just hear about sleep-related topics. We'll chat about how it started, where we are today, and the experiences that have shaped us as mothers of twins. We hope you'll enjoy listening to the ups and downs, the highs and lows and everything in between.
0: Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Twin Life with Tweet Dreams. It's Lindsay and Selena here. We are your bestie twin sleep consultants. And today's episode is all about twin sleep training. Okay. So if this is not something that interests you, you don't have to listen, but this is a very common topic. Uh, in the twin forums and online, everybody wants to know like, can sleep training work for twins? So, we're going to walk you through the four popular methods. It's no surprise, and we've never said differently that we have not created anything new. Selena and I work with clients one on one implementing the tried and true and researched methods. And we're going to start with most involved, like most parental involvement to least parental involvement. And you'll notice that I'm not using the word gentle. Okay. We are all gentle parents guys. Selena's a gentle parent. I'm a gentle parent and we both have sleep trained. So just because we've sleep trained does not mean we don't love our kiddos. So it really has nothing to do with that. You're just a tired, exhausted parent who wants to teach independent sleep routines. And so we're going to walk you through that. So the most hands-on sleep training method is going to be pick up, put down. And it's, in my opinion, really only going to be beneficial for a very small baby, like a newborn, right? Maybe a three-month-old, maybe a four-month-old. And essentially what that looks like is you're still going to want to go through a bedtime routine that promotes independent sleep, right? So limited rocking, um, eliminating drowsiness, a full feeding, family ritual. But then when you place baby into their crib or bassinet, really the moment that they start to cry, you'll pick them up again. Make some body contact, jiggle and hug and kiss, and see if you can uh, trigger that calming reflex. And then you'll place baby back down when they're calm. And then when they start crying again, you're going to pick them back up. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And this is often used in like a soothing ladder for a newborn because really it doesn't give them much opportunity to escalate, right? Become hysterical or anything like that. And the whole goal here when doing the pickup put down is you're replacing one prop or um, experience with something different. Because I think the goal in any sleep training is that we get our babies to go to sleep on their backs in that flat, safe area um, themselves. And so using pick up, put down can help you, let's say, go from nursing to sleep to transfer or rocking to sleep to transfer. And even if it may take a while to get baby to settle in the crib or bassinet, finally, they've actually fallen asleep in the crib or bassinet, right? So this would be for somebody who's not really willing yet or at all to experience any escalated crying. Right, like a 10 out of 10 crying, an 8 out of 10 crying, where baby is just not appearing to self soothe or self regulate. But it could be very beneficial and successful for a newborn when we're working on eliminating props, right? So um, that would be the highest involved sleep training method that you can go with. And then just a couple of extra um, pieces of advice on pickup, put down. That pickup really is 10 to 15 seconds. So I would like you to experiment with putting baby down when they're not necessarily all the way calm and seeing if we can trigger something um, more successful in the crib. Um, When when you're doing pick up, up, put down really any pickups. I'm going to get to that. Any pickups during sleep training. The goal of a pickup is not to get baby to sleep, right? We will have undone all that hard work when they were in their crib. So a pickup is literally just to trigger a calming reflex to say like, hey, mom and dad are still here. I'm part of this process with you. So a pickup is super short, 10 to 15 seconds, try to get baby calm, but we're not rocking, jiggling, holding indefinitely until they are asleep because any crying that was done previously would have been for nothing essentially. Okay. So let's pick up, put down. I really don't recommend it for babies older than four months. Okay. And then I'm going to move to a really popular, um, oftentimes uh, suggested or recommended by parents, Um, sleep training method, which would be any version of stay in the room, right? So is that um, like a chair method? Is that the sleep lady shuffle? Like, what is it, right? We just call it stay in the room or we call it chair method at Tweet Dreams. A lot of parents, especially younger children, sometimes breastfed children, um, those parents want to use a stay in the room method. Now, anytime we're coaching a family, we gather your information We understand your whole story and we talk, we ask about like crying um, uh, tolerances, all of that. So we can understand like, what do you really need? And of course, we're going to make recommendations, but we're never going to say like, you have to, to do this one. Right. And when I think about parents using the chair method, I often love when the parents like, I thought I wanted that method, but I actually don't. And that's okay. I want the parent to have that aha moment, not for me to like try to serve it to them. That makes sense. Okay, so stay in the room method, especially with twins can be a little bit tricky. You're like, well, how does that happen? And the really the only way it could be successful with it is if the twins are sharing a room, which is most common. So what you'll do is you'll take a chair from like your dining room, living room, something easily accessible. And you're going to put it equidistant between the cribs where your babies are sleeping. If it's just a singleton, I recommend you're basically right up flush to that crib. You could stick your arm out. You could stick your hand out. You can touch the crib. You can touch baby, right? You can stand up and hover over. But let's say the cribs are three feet apart. You'll just put the chair like equidistant in between so that maybe you could reach an arm out. Maybe you could reach another arm out, but you're really, really close, right? And so what that looks like is you've completed a successful bedtime routine. You've kept babies awake. You've given their them their full feeding, everything's looking good, but now you're gonna start that sleep training process that feels really anxiety-ridden, scary. We wonder if our ki- our babies are gonna cry for two hours or you know, or what? Or they'll cry indefinitely, right? This is something like that anxiety lets us do. So when we're using a chair method, we're signing up and saying we're not leaving the room. Okay. Now to some people that might be like uh that's torture 101, or that could say you could think oh, that makes me feel really comfortable, right? Either way is fine, okay? I do recommend that if you're choosing the chair method that you try to see it through or you say to yourself, I'm actually gonna do less. I tell clients like it's when you're actually doing more than we're suggesting is when we kind of get into a gray area and you won't be successful in the gray area. So basically a stay in the room method is coaching your child, and comforting them repeatedly as they're undergoing that very first sleep onset of being put into their cribs awake. So it's consistent repetition of key phrases, right? At night, I love you. It's time to sleep. You can sing. You can hum. You can make your presence known. And then with paired with the verbal cues, you can also use physical cues, reaching over the crib. You know, um, shushing, um, physical touch, like. Patting bottom, patting tummy, rubbing head, holding hand, all of that. So it's very, very, very heavy with physical touch. And this can work for some babies, and that, you know, they are focused on mom and dad's physical touch and presence and not the crying, right? And I think with any sleep training, we are always here to reduce crying, right? It's not just about the crying. There's so many other layers to it. But in th- this episode, we're really going to focus on how these methods reduce, help, don't help, right? So if you're using the chair method, basically you're going to be in the room until babies are asleep. Now, if you're using a crying skill, let's say like a five out of of 10 is a baby who's sort of escalated, but also doing like maybe some mantra crying, right? So we're crying, okay, but now we like have our hand in our mouth, right? And we're kind of like sucking around on that and we're trying to like maybe get into a sleep position, taking breaks, Whereas like an eight, nine, or 10 mm, kind of feels uncomfortable. Baby's not showing a lot of self-soothing. And one negative to staying in the room is you really don't have eyes on baby babies because you're it's sitting in a dark room, right? And so sometimes that can be tricky. It's like, well, I can't really tell what self-soothing looks like. I'm mostly just going off of like verbal cues, like what the crying scale is. So essentially, I want you to be involved if baby is upset. And if baby's showing self-settling, then you're probably doing less. And so usually for the first three nights, we'll stay like very involved, lots of physical touch, not leaving the room until they're asleep, right? Maybe incorporating some pickups, maybe not. That's sort of like a game time decision. And I usually tell parents, if you do a pickup, as I described before, and it does not help in any sense, you would want to do that again. Okay. And then as the chair method goes on, um, you'll get successful bedtimes, right? Babies put themselves to sleep, but then you're not by the crib anymore. You're Maybe you have a big enough room to where you're um, three feet away or four feet away, okay? But then you're sitting there. And then I have parents just do, let's just do some verbal reassurance. We don't need to do a lot of physical touch. If babies were successful going down independently um, nights one, two, and three, then on uh, night four, we can imagine that it's going to be much less in terms of minutes, right? So you could sit um, halfway across the room and just use some verbal cues. Okay. And then we go on through the nights, where then you're sitting at the door, right? You're not very, really saying very much, but you really just for your own peace of mind, want to be there. Right. And then after that, you would totally remove yourself from the room. And so we're about maybe like a weekend, and then you can move to leave and check method, which Stelina is going to describe. Now, guys, this is just for babies, If we get into older toddlers and things, it definitely becomes more involved, right? Uh, We have other tools that we're using when we're coaching toddlers. Um, Even a two-year-old in a crib would look different than a baby. A two-year-old in a bed, three-year-old in a bed, four-year-old, you know, all the way up. So right now we're just going to cover techniques for babies. So that is what a stay in the room method looks like. Lots of heavy physical touch. You're not going anywhere. But I will say that if you feel like you want this method because you want it to be quote unquote gentle, I do want you to use your instincts here and and think to yourself, does this actually help? And if you choose to leave the room, it's totally fine. You're allowed to. Okay. And then you can move to a leave and check method quicker than you would have thought you would have. I recently worked with a mom of four month old twins who really thought she wanted to do stay in the room it didn't work out the way she thought it was going to work out. And I let her come to that realization and it's my job as a sleep coach to be like, okay, let's make this tweak. Let's make this tweak. And i suggested that, Hey, let's, let's actually take you out of the room and see what happens. And it was like a switch flipped. The babies were like, gosh, I just couldn't self settle when mom was here. Okay. And it's not a bad thing. It's just is the way that it is sometimes. And so Just know that if you do pick this method, that you do have options to do less, you guys can still be successful. What do you think, Selena? You want to cover or leave and check? Hey girl, are you tired? Not only tired from lack of sleep, but Tired From searching all over the internet for sleep advice that's specific to your twins? Here at Tweet Dreams, we know that twin specific advice and routines should be easy to find and access, and that's why we are a one stop shop for you as a sleep resource. Our blog is chock full of advice for twins when it comes to naps, night weaning, sleeping through the night, and so much more. Not sure where to start? Be sure to grab our free twin sleep guide available for download today. This guide will walk you through an optimal bedtime routine, how to keep them synced throughout the day, and how To keep a routine going. As twin moms, we know how special those breaks are and we want you to have them. Check out the show notes to grab your copy.
1: Hi guys, Selena here. Gonna chat about the method that goes sometimes by leave and check, timed intervals, or FERBER. A lot of people have heard Mm -hmm. of that word, okay? So basically, it's kind of all the same. This this method uses timed intervals, okay? So this is my favorite sleep training method. You know, it's definitely one of the most popular methods, um, especially with twins, okay? So... What this method is all about is, um, you know, doing your bedtime routine, making sure baby's all set, the diapers change, the environment's great, you know, they look good, no sicknesses, everything is like 100%, right, guys? And after that, you put them to bed. We always recommend using, you know, verbal cues. Um, I'm really big on that. Even with my own children, I try to always like just say you know somewhat of the same thing when they go to bed you know you can make it personal make it your own um night night love you time to go to sleep like I always just kind of do the same version of those words and I encourage parents to to really make it your own okay you know we work with people all over the world so different languages just make it your own okay so after that you would leave the room okay with the advent of monitors we're so lucky now um, in this day and age right we leave the room but we have usually a full view of what's going on yep we have those eyes um i know you know my parents didn't have that back in the day they just had um the sound monitor so totally different ball game right when you can like really see what's going on okay so you would leave the room and um You would set a timer for a designated amount of time before going back in to intervene. Okay. So, generally, you know, at Tweet Dreams, we usually suggest starting with 10 minutes, right? So, we just left them, we know they're okay. Okay. That's the main thing. And what I like to tell parents a lot of the times is these checks are mostly for you. Okay, we always talk about creating a mental checklist, right? So we just did the bedtime routine. We know they're good, but, you know, things happen. Kids soil their diapers. They spike fevers like they get in awkward positions. Sometimes maybe your baby monitor like mine these days, um, you can't always see like as well as you want to. So, hey, let's go back in if they're crying, um, you know, on the first night after 10 minutes let's go back in and, and do an assessment, right? Let's use our verbal cues. Let's maybe feel around, you know, um, my twins were notorious for um, peeing through their diapers. A lot of the time I would have the extra clothes ready if I needed that. So, you know, that's something that would really warrant a check-in for sure, right? Like baby's crying, baby needs something, right? But we all know that kids protest and communicate a lot of the time with crying, right? It's unfortunate but it's what it is okay and we already talked about this but we want to try and limit as much crying as we can okay but also understand that sometimes it's just going to happen especially if we're changing the routine right so we go in we see what the issue is if there is an issue if there isn't an issue then we leave you know and know like okay my baby's safe healthy everything looks good but they're protesting the change okay so we leave again and we'd start another timer. Typically, we suggest going in 5-minute intervals, so that would be like 10, 15, 20 minutes, etc., until they fall asleep. So, you know, there's really no time limit quote unquote, and what we usually see is that the first couple nights can be the most challenging, right? But generally what we see a lot of the time is once we can get through those first couple nights and and really let baby fall asleep independently. And when we do go in, we offer those verbal cues. Do we do a pickup if we need to? Maybe, but like you said before, if the pickup doesn't help, then we kind of discourage it, right? Um, if we can get through those first couple nights, a lot of parents are very surprised to see that their children are really catching on to those um, self-soothing techniques, self-settling techniques. I love to give the babies the space and the time to decide what helps them soothe, right? So like it could be thumb sucking, it could be rolling around depending on the age, scratching head. Um, you know, it, it really, really depends. And giving them that time and space to figure out that process can be really beautiful to me. Um, I love that Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. sleep training and about this method in general, right? Like, you know, clients will be texting me being like, oh, um, you know, he's finally sucking his thumb or he found um, this comfortable position and I've been seeing he's doing that regularly. So that's great. That's what we want to do. So that is really, you know, the interval method in a nutshell. We increase the minutes. Um, You know, I, I, I do suggest like, switching spaces with your partner, if you have one to, you know, to do that. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, crying can, can really feel like it's going on for a long time if you don't set that timer. So please, if you're going to use this method, like take that seriously, because from my own personal experience, like if my children are crying for like a couple minutes, I'm like, oh my God, this has been forever. Mm -hmm. Then I look at the clock and I'm like, all right, like, let's be serious. It's been like 30 seconds. (laughs) Um, you know, so like, that's just my two cents. (laughs)
0: No, I recently had a mom tell me she was like, actually setting the timer was like a life changing because I had thought I was like waiting, but I actually wasn't waiting at all. And I'm like, yeah, so just a little bit of accountability, right? Like
1: Mm -hmm. does
0: help and that's there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. To say like, I always say like, don't sit on your hands, like feel like you're doing something you know, like give us the notes in our rested app. Like this is all things that you can be doing to help further the process um, of independent sleep. So Selena, what would you say? Because this is a common thing that I hear is, well, what if we're talking twins, right? So what if one baby is self-soothing and the other one is crying and like clearly needs a check-in, right? We're going to go in and check on the twin that needs a check-in and just- For sure. You know, oh, and a parent might wonder, oh, but as soon as I'm in the room, that other baby is going to start crying again. And I mean, not necessarily, right? So in that instance, I say, if you really think one of the babies needs a check-in, go ahead and give them that check-in, even if the other one, A, isn't at the timer yet or isn't crying, right? Or isn't asleep. And then I think it's also helpful to really sort of use that crying scale to stop the timer if you're having like a 30-second minute pause. Like this is what we want, right? So, like, pause the timer, and then once we get back to that elevated crying, it can start going again.
1: Right, for sure. And I'm not sure if I mentioned, but we really want to keep those check ins to like the elevated crying, right? So, like, if baby's at like a two, three, four, five, something like that, looks like they're soothing to a certain degree. Maybe we want to stay out and and let them kind of figure it out. But if they're really at that elevated crying level, that you know, doesn't seem to be stopping, making you uncomfortable, then we definitely recommend the check-in. Okay. And somebody gave me this piece of advice before I had my twins. And I was like, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do when I have the twins. Like, how am I going to help them both at the same time? Like, how am I going to do this? And somebody told me like, no, you, you help the one that needs the most help first. Right. So like, if they're in the same room and like you said, if one is not crying, but one is going nuts, you help the one that, that needs help quote unquote or needs a check in right so i kind of took that like in my entire motherhood journey with twins like okay you know who needs the most help right now and then i go to that one right mm-hmm. so that's the stay in the room method i mean i'm sorry the leave and check method and um great method totally um love this method and we use it a lot the next method that you'll hear of a lot is called cry it out a lot of the time it's called extinction. And a lot of the time I see people on forums, Facebook, Instagram, wherever being like, I don't want to sleep train because I can't do cry it out. And it's like, okay, well, do you know what cry it out really is? Um, And I'm going to tell you what it is. So true cry it out slash extinction. Okay. We don't do this disclaimer. Like we don't practice this method here. Um, but just to go over it right when you see people talking about this what they mean is that they do their bedtime routine okay they put their child or twins to bed they close the door and then they don't go in at all no matter what right so if the kids are crying they don't intervene maybe they check from the monitor maybe they don't depends and they just wouldn't go in at all and let them figure it out on their own okay if somebody wants to use that method and that's what's going to work for them. Okay, fine. Um, I'm not comfortable with that. And I know Lindsay, you're not really comfortable with that either. Um, you know, especially in the beginning of sleep training, right? Like I want the parents to be comfortable. I want to feel comfortable as a sleep consultant, like knowing, okay, Hey, did we do the check-in was anything seemingly off? Like did the child soil their diaper? Like this happens all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And then like, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's something we need to do and you know, I want the parents to intervene, whether it's stay in the room or, or leave in check, right, you know, for themselves, mostly, and also for the child, if the child really needs something in the middle of the night, right? Like, sometimes kids get sick at night, like, sometimes they need Tylenol, sometimes they need attention, Um, sometimes they're stuck in a position where they really can't get themselves out. So I'm not comfortable practicing like any sort of true extinction, um, method. And that's why sometimes I get sad when people are like, I don't want to sleep train. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to like leave my child to just cry all night. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that either. I wouldn't tell you to do that ever. Like, don't do that. Right. Um, and I think you know,
0: hundred percent. And I think the, (laughs) the method that you're choosing at bedtime overflows to those night wakings. Right. And so just like you're involved at bedtime, you are involved in the night wakings, right? A baby could wake up because they peed through their clothes. They could wake up, like you said, they have pooped. whatever it is. If we're following like a, a method that says we close the door at seven, we come back at 7 a.m., I don't like that, right? And that's definitely not something that we would mm-hmm. teach our parents and program with us. So it's a very sort of, it's a combination of our advice, your comfort level and your own intuition, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, For yeah, sure. I, it does make me sad. Like you said that sleep training and cry it out have become synonymous in a lot of people's minds. And I hope this mm-hmm. episode clarifies that there's such a big difference. And I always say like, we are not in the crying business. We're in the sleep business. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's our job, myself and Stalina, to coach our families, to reduce crying as much as possible. If a client's putting their babies down for a nap and I'm seeing more crying than usual, I am playing detective over here. I'm like, what was mm-hmm. the wake window? What was the nap time routine? Did they have a new food? Whatever. Right. That's our job really is to reduce crying. And so, uh, no, thank you for explaining that. I kind of interjected. Was there anything else you wanted to say?
1: No, I think that's great. You know, I just, I just hope, hope that this episode does clarify that for people who, you know, might be on the fence and and want to explore um, sleep training, sleep coaching, sleep guidance, as I like to call it, right? Because there's a lot we can do to help. Um, there's no one size fits all with any of this, right? So we're here to guide you. We're here to coach you. And we're really here to just show and prove that there's not one way to do things right there are other ways to do things and um most kiddos with consistency can definitely um get that nice 10 to 12 hours of consolidated rest with those predictable naps and like it's possible okay like you do it all the time so i just want to preach it i just want everybody to live this like it's just my favorite thing ever so yeah anything else lindsay uh one
0: more thing I was just going to say that when we're thinking about a sleep training method you always want to start at night right like you would never mm. say like hey I'm going to like nap train today on a whim like no 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 we don't want to do that the drive to sleep during the day is very very low and your child will not accept these changes so if you're thinking about sleep training always start at bedtime and our clients are always then starting the nap time training the next day after one successful bedtime routine so if you're doing it this, if you're doing this at home DIY um, make sure you get an, a successful bedtime routine, meaning baby puts himself to sleep in their crib or bassinet before you go on with naptime training. We've written a blog on this topic. So if you want to delve into it a little bit more and see more step-by-step guidance and tips, we'll link this blog in the show notes. Okay? Sleep training twins can be so, so life-changing. Okay, And it's our life's like passion and joy to walk parents of multiples through that. Okay. So thanks for listening today. We will catch you next week. And um, until then, bye guys. Bye.
1: If you liked this episode and conversation, be sure to leave a review or rating. Share it with a friend on social media or a family member. It's our goal to reach as many parents of multiples and singletons alike. You're not alone in your parenting journey. If you'd like to hear about a specific topic or have an episode idea, please feel free to message us. We're here to help.